0: Hello and welcome to your go-to Detroit Pistons podcast, The Pistons Pulse, co-hosted by me, Bryce Simon of Motor City Hoops and Detroit Bad Boys, a former D1 Hooper, current high school coach, teacher, husband, and father of three amazing kids.
1: And me, Omari Sanko for the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press.
0: Back to being Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, Omari. Offseason O is officially over on Twitter, I saw this morning.
1: Yeah, offseason, though is officially done. Really, it was done on Thursday when they made the trade for Leon Bogdanovic. But uh, I have a deal in my contract that says I have to be offseason, though, until training camp starts. It's my contract, not the free press contract. So it's my Twitter contract. Uh, So we're going to take off the offseason, though, this morning. Uh, He will be back uh, 10 months from now. Uh, rest in peace. He had a good run. He did have a good run.
0: <laughs> and as you mentioned, Troy Weaver took the offseason and blew it up at the end of last week. We've been waiting for something to drop, Omari. Everybody's been saying, there's a trade coming. There's a trade coming. I thought maybe it wasn't going to happen. But end of last week, Troy Weaver sends Kelly Olynyk and Saban Lee to the Utah Jazz in return for Boyan Bogdanovich. What was your initial thoughts whenever you saw that trade?
1: Um. That's it. <laughs> like, it was, like, it was a, a trade that, uh, you know, people i have read about it by now, but just it, it solved a lot of issues for them. Uh, I mean, we did our lineup episode uh, two weeks ago, and we kept running into the same issue of them just lacking sort of a, a, a do-it-all wing. Uh, like, previously, you were giving something up, whether it was defense or shooting. And I think he plugs a lot of holes um, on top of also balancing the roster out. Uh, they'll buy out or wave Kimball Walker eventually. And then they'll be at the roster limit of 15 and um, you're giving up two players for one. Uh, so I that issue as well. So uh, just an A-plus trade. I mean, I really don't see any downside here, even if he were to get hurt for the entire season. He didn't really give up a whole lot. They were pretty stacked at point guard, pretty stacked at center. Uh, roster has been balanced out. And it's too early to say a field start, but, I mean, he shot 39% from three. Uh, he's a true three-level scorer. uh counted the ball a little bit. So, I mean, again, he's just a high-level role player that this team did not have previously, and it's hard to see how he doesn't play significant minutes, whether it's starting or off the bench. I mean, he's a really good player.
0: Yeah, I mean, essentially, you traded Kelly Olenek for Boyan Bogdanovich because, as you mentioned to me, Saban Lee was probably getting cut anyway, Omari. So, like, Sabin Lee was just kind of a throw-in, and I do want to get your perspective from the Jazz. I know this is a Pistons podcast, but I do want to get your perspective on this side for the Jazz. But Boyan is a really good player, Omari. I think I looked it up the other day. The past five seasons combined he's shot over 40 percent from three on average if you combine those five seasons on you know five six seven attempts per season he can do it off the catch and shoot but he can also do it off the bounce he can be a secondary creator at times which is something that we know Dwayne Casey likes you know even from the forward spot that's not what we've normally seen he is a little bit of a defensive liability but we know this is an imperfect roster anyway Omari so I don't know that that's really that big of a deal.
1: No, it's not in the grass game and uh, also just um you know, just from seeing what the uh Jazz reporters were saying about him, uh he was he had a really good series in the uh playoffs, so he could step it up when he needs to, but probably will not need to uh too often next year. But you know, but that's TBD. Uh, again, I, he just plugs that source of hose for this team. It's a curious trade for the Utah Jazz, I think. I know Kelly Olenek and Denny Ainge have a relationship given that Kelly was drafted by the Celtics and uh, he was the president of that uh, basketball club when Kelly was there. Uh, so I would assume that that was probably much of the upside from Utah's standpoint. Uh, Utah doesn't necessarily have a need uh, for a young point guard. Uh, that's a position that they're pretty stacked in. So I'd be curious to see. Um, if is able to stick around, uh, but maybe they just owe Troy Weaver a favor. I don't know. But I think on paper, very, very, very little downside uh, for the Pistons. The counties have a pretty big row, I think, in Utah as well. Uh, you Look at their roster, and they don't really have a lot of big math. Depth. I know they got Larry Markman uh, in that Donovan Mitchell trade. And beyond that, uh, they got Jared Vanderbilt in the really good Bear trade. Uh, but beyond that, they don't really have a lot of big-man depth, so I think Kelly's going to go into a situation where he might be able to start over there, honestly. I'm uh, obviously another rebuilding situation, but I guess from that standpoint, uh, Boyang's in a situation where uh, he's with a team that really, really wants him. I know the Pistons front office was thrilled to get that, that trade done uh, for very obvious reasons, and um, Kelly's in a situation where he's with a GM that he knows pretty well and have a pretty big role there, too, so... Uh, best elected Saban Lee uh, he has some really good moments here with the Pistons and of course he was second team on G League with the Cruz last year and uh, I'm sure he'll find a different landing spot but uh, just from a, a trade standpoint like like you said earlier it was just tough to see Saban having a row here long time uh, just I mean you have three young bar handlers in K, Killian Jaden Ivey and he had only started seven games in his two years here uh, spent most of that season with the Cruz so it was just tough to see that uh, kind of break it off for him here.
0: Yeah, and we do have to make note that it does save the Pistons three more million dollars in cap next offseason. I mean, they're going to be flush with cap space anyway, Amari, but it does save a little bit because Boyan is on an expiring and Kelly Olynyk did have three million guaranteed. I, I do know for the Jazz side of it, it did lower their cap hit this season, opened up a TPE moving forward. And then as you mentioned a couple times, the Danny Ainge, Kelly Olynyk connection that those two guys have, I do want to ask Omari, because I know this was my first thought with Boyan Bogdanovich. Do you think we see Boyan on this team post-NBA trade deadline? Because I I can't help but wonder what his market was, that the Jazz were only able to get Kelly Olenek and Saban Lee in return for him. But there's got to be a contender at the deadline that is going to have the need for a 6-7 forward that can play the 3 or the 4 and shoot 40% from 3 with a little bit of ball handling.
1: It wouldn't shock me either way. Uh, I could see him uh, being flipped at the the deadline. I could see him uh, remaining with the Pistons through next offseason. It's interesting, again, um, he's a career 39% shooter. He's been a starter for a contending team. So uh, you would think there'd be a stronger market for a player like that on an expiring deal. A team might be able to, or Utah might have been able to get a pick for him, uh, which they obviously did not. At the same time, he turns 34 in April. And that could deflate his market along with the fact that he's making around $19 million next season. Uh, If he shoots the ball well, it's still around 39% next season. Uh, He's starting for the Pistons. Uh, There will be interest, I think, from Detroit's standpoint. Uh, And and we'll talk about media day. uh, But uh, today they talked a lot about just wanting to compete. And Bogdanovic obviously raises their uh, floor and their ceiling, I think, by pretty good bit as I put them into the playoff in race. I don't know, uh, but they're a better team than they were this time last week. You know, I think it'd be interesting to see where the Pistons are in February, uh, what those offers look like. I think there's a lot that goes into it. If the Pistons are, you know, treading water and they still have a a window to make the plan, it uh, wouldn't shock me if they say, you know, we're, we're keeping them and, you know, we're going to go for it because we do want to be a good team. We're not going to you know, wind down like we have a season's past and, you know, with an eye toward it, obviously not, you know, wearing guys down in the season that's not going anywhere. So there's a lot that's going to go into that. Uh, definitely be curious to see if they could build a little bit more of a market for him, but he's a good player. He could help every team in the NBA. Uh, teams would be interested. It's just, what do you give up for, uh, player who will be 34 next season.
0: I was really interested that the Pistons didn't end up having to give up any draft capital. As I was watching it play out on Twitter last week, I just was waiting for the next shoe to drop. You know, we we knew the players that were involved, but then sometimes the draft picks come in a little bit later. I, I'll just say this, Omari. I know there was a lot of, man, this team just got a whole lot better. And, and they did. Boyan is a more effective player than Kelly Olenek. He is a better fit for the roster, which you've mentioned. I still don't think they're sniffing the play-in game because of what we talked about on last week's episode, Omari. The Eastern Conference is just too good. Now, could that change come season? Some teams falter, injuries, whatever. Maybe Kate is a, you know, a, a true all-star level player. Absolutely. But I don't think Boyan coming in just raises the ceiling to the point where this team is the 10th seed or the ninth seed. I still think, do they win a couple more games? Maybe, but I think more than anything, Omari. What Boyan does is he's going to make this team better to watch and help these young players develop because of the floor spacing he provides.
1: I agree with that. I think at the end of the day, if they're going to make a play-in push, it'll be more because Cade, Sadiq, Isaiah, you know, both Isaiahs, Killian, uh, those types of guys made big leaps, and that's probably what'll do it. Uh, Boyan, ideally, if you're going to make a playoff push, you know, the way the East is looking Dow uh where a team like Cleveland or well, maybe not Cleveland post uh, the Donovan Mitchell trade, but a team like Atlanta could be the ninth seed, right? Or a team like a, a, a lot of teams really. The East is so deep that whatever team is in that ninth seed is going to be a pretty good team. And then you also have to consider New York Dicks should be better. As
0: I say, we had, the, we had the Knicks around 10 last week, Omari, and the Wizards not even making the play-in game. I mean, they still have Bradley Bill, Christoph Sprazingis. Not to get off on you know this tangent again, but there's some really good teams that may not even make the play-in outside of the Pistons, even if the Pistons
1: are a good team. And the path is just really tough. So, yeah, I don't think he makes them a the play-in uh, team necessarily, single-handedly. Uh, I do think he raises their floor. I think he fixes a lot, a lot of their death problems that they had. Uh, I think he'll make them more watchable. And I think he'll make the game easier for uh, especially all their young guys. Um, he just raises the floor um, in a lot of different ways. But, yeah, for them to make the play, in, I think you probably need two all-star level players, and they may have one next season. You know, and that's still like a May, depending on how good Kate Cunningham is. So uh, they study some pieces. Uh, I still think they're probably a year off from really being in that conversation, but he does make them a better team, and he will make them a better uh, product to watch, I think, every night as well.
0: Absolutely. Especially on the offensive end. I have no doubts there after doing my film breakdown on him. He's really good offensively. And again, he can provide some secondary creation. He can run a ball screen. Defensively, I'm really interested, Omari, especially if he's playing at the four. And we're about to get to the lineup stuff, guys. And this will lead us into that. If he's playing as the four... Then rebounding could be an issue in some lineups. How are they going to use him in ball screen coverages? Last season, we saw the Pistons switch a lot, Omari. And Boyan in Utah, where he did play the four most of his time, but he liked to hard hedge and recover. So I'm, I've, I've mentioned this a couple times. We've talked about it a little bit. I'm very intrigued to see what Jerome Allen does with the defensive scheme this season for the Pistons. But let's just go into the lineup. You've You've alluded to it a couple times. What does your gut tell you right now in terms of the possibilities of Boyan Bogdanovich starting? And if he does, then who starts with him in the front court?
1: If I had to put money on it, I would I would bet on him starting. I just don't see who starts over him. Uh, I don't think the idea of an Isaiah Stewart, Marvin Bagley front court is that appealing, given that it, like which which one of those guys do you trust to space the floor every single night? Um, you know, they're both Isaiah Stewart actually might be a little bit over 30% for his career mark from three, I haven't, I haven't checked. But either like either way, he still has to prove that he can do it every single night. And I know Marvin um, at Media Day today also said that he wants to shoot the ball better, but uh, I don't think you want to hope and pray every night that one of your two starting bigs will be able to shoot. I think that's not a good recipe to have. So I would think that Boyan just – I mean, he's got an average, very, very efficient – 18 a game last year, his true shooting was like 60%. Uh, he's far and away the most accomplished scorer on this roster. And given that he can also hold his own defensively and handle the rock a little bit, I just I just think he's too good to um, come off the bench. I really do. I think you have to start a guy like that. Uh, I think they made the trade with the expectation that he'll play a, a pretty big role, so... He's a good player, but also just throw lack of options, I think, at the four. Like, he could start to, to dig at the four, you know, and then maybe go a smaller uh, one through 3 whether that's K, Killian, Corey, or K, Killian, Ivy, however you want to shake it. Um, I think he starts. Long story short, I think he starts. It's just hard for me to see how he does it.
0: So that's interesting to me because I've spent the whole offseason, Omari, kind of thinking that Stu was going to start at the four. And again, that was a quote when we get to media day here in just a little bit that he brought up himself playing at the four. You know, Stu and Marvin Bagley starting after the contract Bagley got, but you think this changes that a little bit and you slide down Stu to start at the five at least. I I realize, you know, once rotations get going, you can find minutes for Isaiah Stewart at the four. But you think you would predict a starting lineup then of Cade, Ivy, Bay, Boyan, and Isaiah Stewart?
1: That's what my guess would be. Yeah. And I'm still not positive on Ivy as well. I know Killian started, I know Cade started, but um, during the position now where you can like not start Ivy, mean, you can bring him in slower. You don't necessarily have to speed him up if you don't have to. Cade obviously was Cade. He could he benefited from starting. I don't know if Killian did. That's probably a coin flip on Jaden Ivy right now, if I had to guess. But I just I just from a roster standpoint, from a maximizing your starting five standpoint, it's just hard for me to see the argument for Sadiq, Boyan, and Isaiah not being your um, starting three through five. Like, I think that checks the most boxes. I think that gives you the best chance to win. And I think that's probably the direction the Pistons are going in.
0: So I'll make my argument for it, Omari, just to have a little bit of fun here. I think if you don't start on then you can start Cade, Ivy, Bay, Stu, and Bagley. Let Stu play minutes at the four. We'll see if the shooting's there or not. He has the lob threat and Marvin Bagley the third, which the starting lineup we're talking about with Boyan in it and Isaiah Stewart doesn't necessarily have. And here's what I love about that second unit, Amari, with Killian Hayes. Then you have Burks, Livers, and Boyan, and then you can put Noel or Dur- Durin. I know we're going to talk a little bit about those two guys as well. I really like that second unit. I think that sets up Killian Hayes to be successful. Has a ton of floor spacing and a lob threat, whether it's Noel or Duran. I just think the roster balance is really nice. If you don't start Boyan,
1: I think rotationally you can flex it in a way that you still have adequate spacing in the second unit. Uh, if Boyan's your first sub out. You put Marvin Bagley in a six-man row. Isaiah Stewart slides to the four. Um, you still have to DK. Uh, you know. Whoever you put at the two, whether it's Ivey or, or Hayes, whoever who are- Hayes, whoever, you could probably flex it to where you still have adequate spacing. And Alec Burks uh, being hurt and probably going to miss most of camp uh, kind of hurts, um, you know, since he kind of fixes that spacing issue as well. But that second unit, you know, essentially could still be uh, Bagley. You could put Livers at the four. Uh, you have Killian. Uh, you have Corey. So you have Livers who can shoot. You have Corey who can shoot. You know, I guess with Burks being out, maybe that three spot's a little bit different. But I think rotationally, you can make it worse where you still have adequate spacing. Uh, you can still uh, keep the court spread out. And, you know, maybe Boyan's that first sub uh, to the bench, and then he just closes out the second, you know, half, and then he starts the third and whatnot. Because uh, I think he'll probably be a, a favorite for dwayne in fourth quarters as well for obvious reasons. So... Uh rotationally, it could still work out. I think you could still accomplish all of that with him being in the starting lineup.
0: And would we both agree that Boyan is going to be in the closing lineup at the end of games, Omari? Because I think there's no doubt about that, which which becomes an interesting topic because I thought Isaiah Livers would be a really good piece in the closing lineup. But I don't know that you can play. You probably could get away with Livers, Bay, and Boyan, but I don't know that you probably want to. Um, That would be really interesting Um, now that I bring it up, but I-, I assume Boyan's closing games.
1: I would assume so as well. And, you know, you could still put Isaiah Livers in there if you wanted to. I think the thing with Isaiah is that he does only have 19 games under his belt. So he was really good last season, but now you're in a position where you don't have to rely on him, um, you know, as much as if he is having an off night for whatever reason. And that's just death too. You know, I think, a, you know, if you're a team that's competing, you should have multiple options to close games and some guys probably will get snubbed, you know, when it comes down to it. You can just write the hot hand or, you know, positionally matchups or whatever, whatever makes sense. Uh, you know, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, maybe there's some opportunities he would add otherwise, but he's got 19 games under his belt. There's no rush. If he can shoot the ball, he'll be in Detroit for a long time. So, you know, I think it just gives you, uh, if you're a coach, it gives you more room to not, not to rely on those young guys if you're not getting it done. And that competition is good as well.
0: I love that you brought that up. That's a really good point. We, we've talked a little bit about the depth. I mean, you can make an argument that Corey and Rodney aren't even necessarily in the too deep depth chart if you went to it, even Hamadou Diallo. Like, if you don't want to get after it on a given night, if you don't play well on a given night, there's other guys, veterans, who've been around this league for a while that can come in and take those minutes. It gives Dwayne Casey options. Uh, I think it makes his job hard, Omari. I think Coach Casey has a tough job this season trying to navigate all these Minutes, but that is a good problem to have and has to be good for the growth of a young roster. Having that competition where those guys have to earn their minutes, they have to earn their closing minutes. It's just not given to them because there's not really any other option.
1: And the Pistons haven't had that depth, so they've had to rely on guys who are NBA players, uh, you know, not to take anything away from them. Uh, but, you know, if the Pistons were a 50-win team, you probably wouldn't see those guys as often. They'd be more uh, emergency break the glass options. So I think the Pistons are approaching a point in dial to where uh, you have the depth to where you're not, to where you could kind of mix a match based on matchups, right? Uh, you know, like if you're the Boston Celtics, you have the option to go with a Grant Williams, you know, Al Horford, you know, front court. Or you could go Grant Williams, Robert Williams, or you could go Robert Williams, Al Horford. And you're probably not going to play like three of those guys together, but you could base a match depending on who your opponent is. And all those guys are NBA players. They're all good. They all deserve to play. But you have two front court spots for three guys who are good. So... Uh, that's just how it works when you're a team with depth and defenses have those traces to make now. And I think it's a good thing.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Whenever they play the C- Cleveland Cavaliers and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are across the court, you may want to go with the big lineup of Isaiah Stewart and Marvin Bagley. Or if Minnesota is in town and you're playing those two Twin Towers and Cat and Ro- Gobert, then you may want to go bigger. Then obviously we know plenty of teams around the league are playing small Earlier, you mentioned the Alec Burke injury and the kind of the news that broke with that on Monday, along with all of the quotes that came from media day. After this short break, we'll dive into all of that.
2: All right. Hey, Carlos, just a quick idea. How about if I say, hey, this is Sean Windsor and you say, hey, this is Carlos Smalls, and I'll go and then we'll go back. You want, you want to try that? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, you ready? Yep. Hey, this is Sean Windsor. And this is Carlos Menares, And we are the team behind Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean, where we are going to talk about, you guessed it, sports, but lots of other stuff. Like what, Carlos? Oh, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Sean, food. Um, Probably more food arts culture sports tv movies you name it if it's happened in detroit we're going to talk about it and sometimes we're going to have guests in who obviously know a lot more than we do about just about everything but we're going to have some free press journalists to talk about big stories folks from the sports world we're going to be out every thursday you can find this podcast wherever you find your podcasts apple spotify google podcasts we hope you'll join us
1: all right, we're back, and we're going to get into media day. I know most of you all were following it on Twitter. Uh, you know, it feels like the longest day of the year <laughs> for us media guys. I, right to Omari, after I don't a,
0: know how you do it, my man. Like, I was trying to follow your Twitter, and I was getting worn out.
1: Yeah, I don't know how we do it either. Like, you talk to, you know, 17, 18 people in the span of two and a half, three hours. Of, uh, you know, it's a lot. You know, I take a lot of notes. So I try to transcribe live as much as you can. And a lot of times, I'm just, like, typing directly into my notes, and then I'm copying and pasting what I transcribe live and putting it on Twitter and that's just how I do it. Okay. So
0: that's what I wanted to ask. How do you get the, how quick do the quotes go? Cause I didn't get to watch it. So how quickly do you get a quote from say Dwayne Casey and then have it on Twitter? Cause it seems really fast.
1: A lot of it depends on how fast guys talk. Honestly, um, you know, Dwayne and Troy, I think talk a little bit more slow. So it's pretty easy to you know, like transcribe live, whatever they say. Um, sometimes you have a player that talks fast and, you kind of just struggle to do it. Like you might put one quote on Twitter and then you miss something and then you just, it's like, Oh, well, that was a good quote, but you know, I missed it. So I'll just go back and find it later. Uh, it's not really a, it's not really a science. It's more of just a, just, you know, hoping guys don't string too many good quotes together so you can keep up, honestly, but that's, that's kind of how it goes. But you know, again, my media day was, uh, super busy. Um, we're going to go through a few notes here. So Alec Burks is, um, rehabbing his david fracture i hope i said that correctly i'm not um an expert on body parts but, same <laughs> uh, he'll be reevaluated in three weeks and uh and that's tough obviously i mean he's he's one of the guys that you know i think was probably gonna one of the best i was gonna play the most next season just being a 38 percent career shooter um and that reevaluation date really puts him right up against uh opening night uh because that's like three weeks from monday is october 17th season tips off october 19th so i would assume he'll missed camp i'd assume he missed all the preseason and that's and that's tough but you know ideally it doesn't take them too long to get up to speed and uh they could get going uh not too long after the season starts my donovic did not speak today he's not yet officially on the roster uh Dwayne did mention him and um not really sure. I, I didn't think Dwayne was going to mention my name, and he did. So, usually they don't talk about guys before trades are cleared. But uh, he is going through. That trade is happening. So, I, I know there's, like, the big enduring crowd who's, like, oh, he's on the roster. Like, what's going on? Did something happen? And it's like, no, uh, we don't have to act brand new. Every time a trade happens, this is a standard, standard procedure. Uh, so, he'll be cool. Uh, Jules Benard and Stanley Umbade got the final. They got two Exhibit 10 deals. So, we'll probably see them on the cruise next season. Uh, they both kind of popped off toward the end of summer league, so um, not super surprising there. We saw the same thing happen with Jamarco picking last year, getting a two-way, so um, same, same. And then no Gabriel Prashida as well, because uh, of first he was overseas. As somebody asked me why he wasn't on the roster, and it's because he's a draft stash, and he is not on the roster so (laughs) there you go
0: technically he has a contract with another team in another country right now that obviously you know he's going to honor and and play for that I think the biggest thing from all of that stuff Omari was the Alec Burks right we've kind of just slotted him into the rotation definitely in the second unit some people think maybe even he starts you know a lot of the things we said about Boyan Bogdanovich you could say about Alec Burks but at the guard position and I wonder how much this will open up an opportunity for Hamadou Diallo, especially early in the season. You know, that's a guy we felt like maybe was left out of the rotation a little bit. And maybe this Burks injury, if he is slow to get going this season, that opens up an opportunity for Hami.
1: Yeah, we asked Hami about it uh, today. And, you know, Hami, he he doesn't ask those questions directly. He's just more, I'm here to work hard and, you know, have fun and take whatever's given to me. But just looking at the roster, he was a guy that seemed like he would probably, I don't want to say lose the most, but just from a minute standpoint, wonder how much room there would be for him, just the way the roster is constructed and uh, the way the team's going to prioritize shooting, obviously. So that will give him, him, it could give him some minutes in, in preseason and we'll see what he's able to do with that.
0: So just real quick note, Kimba Walker, not with the team. Uh, you know, I know everybody's talking about that. It's still, everything is going to be, you know, that he's waived, bought out, however that works. Options were picked up for Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, third and fourth year options, depending on when those guys were drafted. And then I did want to make a quick note here. The Pistons announced they're going to honor Bob Lanier wearing the number 16 I know you tweeted out a picture so if you guys want to check out that on Omari's Twitter at Omari Sankofa and I think it has then the the Bill Russell on another patch as well right Omari so they have a six and a 16 on the jerseys
1: yeah so like the 16 is like a stripe and then the six is not a stripe I'm trying to remember it from memory but yeah they have two numbers on the corners of the jersey um, along with the sponsor patch so these are a little, a little busy this year, but, I mean, great cause, obviously. You have to, you know, I Bob Lanier, one of the all-time greats. And then, obviously, Bill Russell, um, you know, <laughs> so many rings have to put one on his toe.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that Bob Lanier will be January 23rd, the tribute, whenever the Bucs come to Detroit to play the Pistons. Let's get into the quotes. Troy Weaver let it off on Monday. Here's the first quote. I feel like we have a full complement of players. First two years, we did not it's my job to make sure we have a roster in place that can compete. I feel like we have a full complement of players so we can go and compete every night now.
1: Yeah. I mean, we talked about it earlier, but he's just talking about the death and just the roster needs being met. Um, you know, I know last year when they traded for Marvin Bagley, uh, Trey, you know, he talked about the trade. He said he talked to Dwayne and said, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a roster that had everything you needed. Uh, we didn't have a trip, didn't have enough big man death. Uh, obviously, you know, Trey Lyles was, you know, playing center pretty heavy for a couple of months. I feel like it was two years ago, by the way. But, um, you know, but I think Troy is just acknowledging that from a depth standpoint, the roster's, you know, where it needs to be. And it took a lot of willing and dealing over two years to get to this point. But uh, yeah, you have decent depth at every position. And- I think we'll see that payoff next
0: season. I thought that was a very like blunt quote, essentially saying like we weren't very good, we didn't have a full complement of players, but he feels like they do now. And I think as we've talked about, you know, we outlined how this roster has improved, especially with the depth. I think the big thing now is getting that top end talent. You know, they. The ESPN top 100 came out. The Pistons only had one player on that top 100, and that was Cade Cunningham. To win, I think we would all agree, to win in the championships in the NBA, you have to have multiple players in the top 100. I think at least one player in the top 15, 10, whatever it is. And so now it's how do they continue to build this out, whether it's player development, packaging guys, Upcoming drafts, free agency, whatever it is, you got to get that top in talent
1: moving forward. Next quote: uh, The East being very competitive and deep helps us. It helps a young team because you have to go out every night and play and grow and learn from that. A little bit more context on that because I don't think I tweeted it because of the affirmation. You can't tweet everything at once. Um, Tway talked about you know his NBA career starting in Utah and OKC. Uh, he was a scout for Utah and then obviously the assistant GM for OKC. Uh, for many years and you know, was there during what I would call their prime years. Uh, he got there the year after Kevin Durant, I believe, but he was there when they drafted James Harden, Russell Westbrook, so he kind of knows how that goes as far as rebuilding. Uh, the West was stronger than the East for a very long time, up until the le- past couple of years, pretty much through my entire lifetime, and he talked about how he thought it helped OKC uh, for the young players to have to go through the gauntlet basically every night, uh, going against all those talented West teams at the time, whether it was – you know, I think that's probably the telling of Phoenix being good. Uh, well, before they got good again, uh, Lakers are still good, obviously. And the Pistons are in that boat now. Uh, you have a conference that goes nine deep at least. You know, and that's assuming that a team from the outside like the Knicks or you know, Orlando's been rebuilding for a year. Maybe they make a leap. They're going to have tough games every single night. Like off the top of my head, there's maybe a handful of teams. I mean, Utah might be worse than the Pistons next season. Uh, there's a chance the Magic are still worse. But on paper, it's, particularly in the East, uh, you know, it seems like they're probably going to finish in that fourteen, fifteen spot again, unless you see those guys make a big leap forward, and they will be tested. We saw it last year, too. Uh, you know, you may play teams down to the wire, but at the end of the day, I think they just got out-deft a lot of nights. And you also have a lot of teams out two All-Stars. Uh, almost every team that's going to make the play in or playoff this year has at least two All-Star caliber guys, so they're going to be in for it this year.
0: The schedule's going to be tough. And, you know, a lot of the teams that aren't very good are in the West, Omari. So the Pistons obviously aren't going to play those teams as often as the teams in the East. The only other team who I think right now... Maybe has a worse roster than the Pistons, is the Orlando Magic. Now, there's a team like the Pacers, again, we talked about it last week, who may end up tanking a little bit harder depending on what happens, but it will be interesting. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's some new roller coasters for this young roster, and it'll be interesting to see how they step up to the challenge night in and night out. Last quote from Troy Weaver, and I think this was interesting because of us having on assistant GM Rob Murphy a few weeks ago, and he used this exact same term. Weaver said the Pistons are at quote unquote ground zero now. Omari, you asking him what's different now compared to when he took over. He said, We were trying to figure out who were keepers, trying to dig ourselves out of a hole. Ed Stefanski did a great job getting the books in order, and we continued that.
1: I mean, it's just that he took over. You saw Derek Rose, you saw Blake Griffith. Uh, he did Will and and get uh, the uh, four players of the 2020 draft, but there was just a lot to figure out as far as. You know, which guys from the previous regime do we keep? Which ones do we trade? They obviously parted ways with Christian Wood and Luke Kennard, um and Bruce Brown before the season started. And, uh, they ended up parting ways with Sekou Doumbouya. And, I mean, just all the willing and dealing over the last two years. And now you have, you know, 10, 11 players younger than 24. You have some really good vets. Um, and they might lead the NBA in cap space next summer. Uh, so that's ground zero. Uh, I think it's basically saying the roster is now at the point where I'm comfortable. Uh, You know, we've gotten most of the work done. Uh, We have a core players we like. We have vets we like. Our financial outlook is fantastic. And you can just map out the next few years and say, I see a clear upward curve uh, to what this team can become. So round zero, you know, it sounds kind of intuitive because it's year three for this rebuild, but it makes sense after he described it, right? Uh, We've got all the work done out the way, and now we can just kind of write this out for a little bit.
0: I did not have Sekou Dambuya's name getting dropped on my bingo card for <laughs> absolutely. I don't know if Sekou's name is ever. Wes, we need to look this up. Have we ever said Sekou Dambuya on the Pistons' pulse? I don't know that we have. I think that could be a fact that his name has never came up on the Pistons' pulse in our 32 episodes. That that somebody that's listened to every episode, let us know. But I think the thing I took away from that quote, Omari. He said, trying to dig ourselves out of a hole. Like that's, again, a pretty blunt statement from a GM talking about when they took this over, that this organization was in a hole. And like you said, it took him two years to dig out of the financial situation, the young talent situation. And now, like he explained, they're at ground zero where they can really start building up. And these are where a lot of the tough decisions are really going to come into play for Troy Weaver and his staff. Because you do have to start building out a more talented roster year in and
1: year out. Maybe this is the marking point of that pressure turning up a little bit. And that's not to say, you know, this is a playoff or play in or bust season or whatnot. But year two for K, year three for the 2020 class, uh, you know, this time next year, you know, so many guys will be extended or be in extension talks. I think that's when it really starts to get real. And I think after three years, of anything, you definitely want to see, you know, some signs that other work you're putting in. Is paying off, So uh, the temperature does get a little bit hotter now, I think, maybe not from an internal. We want more standpoint, but from an external, we want to see that this rebuild is actually starting to bear some fruit, uh, whether that's in the win-loss column going from 23 wins to 33, 38, whatever it may be. Uh, you definitely want to start to see more. And they talked a lot today about just competing, competing every single night. Uh, you don't have COVID to fall back on. You don't have, you know, we're starting two or three rookies to fall back on. Uh, you don't have depth to fall back on. You guys are playing in position. You guys you know, know how the league works. Uh, you have two rookies this year instead of however many you had last year. It seemed like half the roster was last year. Um, There's a continuity, and you want to see some growth.
0: So that leads right into Dwayne Casey. Coach Casey said, I want guys to understand being young is not an excuse now. We need to be ready to take that next step. I think that's a really interesting quote from Coach Casey, who's just going to say, like, Sadiq, Isaiah, Killian, you've been in the league. This is your third year now. Cade, your rookie year is over. You had a full offseason. You know, these guys went through some of those COVID seasons and all that craziness and now there's not all those built-in quote-unquote excuses we should see some actual progress it may not lead to 30 40 wins but at least some progress here moving forward now
1: absolutely yeah I mean you know you want to see guys take that step forward uh, you want to see Kate Cunningham go from a pretty good rookie to okay this is a guy who could absolutely be number one or number two in a championship team you want, to, you want Sadiq Bay to become more efficient and he's very clearly an above-average NBA starting forward. You want to see Killian Hayes continue to make strides. They talked about being aggressive today, uh, knock down open threes, and just do enough on offense so that uh, he can't be played off the floor, essentially, because his defense and his passing, obviously, are very Mm -hmm. above-average for a guard. You just need all these guys to show that all the work they've been putting in his office. Isaiah Stewart, you know, playing the four, being able to knock down threes, and he said he'll probably take more threes this season, carrying over from summer league. You want to see that all this work you're putting in It's paying off. We didn't really see that last year until really after uh, that Boston Celtics win right before – Oh, I'll start weekend. I think that was a turning point for last season. And you really want that energy and that momentum to carry over into this year.
0: So to switch gears just a little bit, talking about rookie Jay Nivey, I thought this one was really interesting as well. He said, Jay Nivey is in the same group as Cade Cunningham and Killian Hayes as far as readiness. And remember, both of those guys started their careers starting for the Pistons. But Casey went on to say it's too early to say if he'll start or not. Yeah,
1: so I, I asked the way about that. Just expectations for... Jaden Ivy, and crib the question by saying, you know, like I, we know certainly from the start or whatnot, um, you know, just because I wasn't necessarily asking that. But just where is he as far as how much you think he'll be able to impact the game next season? And yeah, he did say from a standpoint, he's in the same category as those other guys. Now, again, uh, the Pistons thought Killian Hayes was ready, um, you know, for a bigger role. He played in Europe. Uh, he had a pretty, uh, you know, I think b- mature game uh, for a 19 year old and it didn't really quite work out. Uh, it obviously worked out for Cade, uh, but I do think that the Pistons are aware of that. And I don't know if they're as willing to kind of toss them into the fire to the extent that they did with Killian. And I would say the big difference is that they don't have to. Uh, you have Corey, you have Cade, you know, you have players in front of them. Killian, you have players in front of them who are more, more experienced, uh, more predictable, you know what to expect. And I think a lot of that will be... Figured out during training camp and preseason how ready Jaden Ivey is, but the feedback's been good. I mean, let me talk about his athleticism and how you know he'll impact the game, and or question marks. We went through all that. As of now, it does sound like there's a chance he will start on opening night.
0: Yeah, that's what I want to say. The roster is in a completely different space than it was Killian's rookie season, and then even last year with Cade Cunningham. I just I'm going to put you on the spot, then Amari. Right now, over under fifty percent that Jaden Ivey is in the starting lineup on opening
1: night. I would go over. Uh, I think the franchise is aware that he and Kay, the body young guys probably have the best shots of becoming like that that superstar-level player. Uh, on-ball guards, obviously running NBA right now, or on-ball forwards, whoever. That's what they need to invest in. And, you know, I think just because they've leaned toward just being full-go, figure it out on the fly, you know, I could see them giving Jaden that same opportunity to show that he can handle a starting assignment. Uh, but if he struggles in preseason, struggles in camp, Probably not. You know, I don't think it's just going to be given at all.
0: And then one final one here before we move to some of the players. Dwayne Casey on fellow rookie Jalen Duran. Young, but very talented. Love him. He's going to be a jewel for this city for a long time. We just continue to hear great things about Jalen Duran and how this organization feels about him.
1: I mean, like Rob Murphy said the other week on the pod, uh, they had him uh, ranked as a top five player in the draft. I still feel like he's a little bit of a man of mystery to an extent because. It, it, like You could see what he did at, at Memphis, and he was a good freshman, obviously, but they couldn't really uh, take advantage of his athleticism. They just didn't really have the guard play that they needed to maximize that type of big. So he still just kind of seems like a big, untapped piece of stone that's just waiting to be molded. Uh, and he's also 18 years old. He doesn't turn 19 for another month or so. So just a player that young, I don't think you could really expect anything, per se. Uh, so we'll just have to see on that. But they really believe in them. They're thrilled to have them, And we'll just see what happens. I know fans want to see him play. But, you know, again, I think that is a complete coin flip. I can't even begin to predict how I many minutes we'll see him play. I, I can't even begin to predict. Don't even put me on the spot. <laughs>
0: uh, I, I will I'll leave that yeah. one alone. We do, we do have a quote from Jalen Duran here after the short break about his possibilities of maybe playing with the Motor City crews. But when we first come back, we'll get into the face of the franchise, Cade Cunningham.
1: I'm Alyssa Robinson for the Detroit Free Press. When you wake up every morning, what's the first thing you do? Check your email, me too. And when you sign up for our daily briefing newsletter, you'll get all the latest news sent directly to your inbox so you can wake up and be ready for the day. We also have newsletters about COVID-19 in Michigan, the latest entertainment headlines, as well as Woodward 248, a newsletter specifically for people living and working in Southeast Oakland County. And don't forget about automotive headlines and all the latest news from our Michigan sports teams. We have a newsletter for every personality and preference. Just head to freep.com forward slash newsletters to sign up for any one of these great options and more. All right, we're back once again, and we're just going to dive I uh, write into this quote uh, from Kate, of course, one of the big talking points of the day. and I wrote a story about it the other week about uh, you know the, the muscle he's put on. Um, Dwayne said he's up to about 227 228 now. And he ended the season around 210, so he's put on somewhere between 15 to 20 pounds. Depending on who you ask, he's put on somewhere in that range. You get a different weight depending on who you talk to. But uh, somewhere in the 225 to 228 range appears to be where he's at. Uh, He said, I feel great. been working really hard in the weight room with my teammates. Being strong is something we always talk about and are focused on being strong throughout the season. I feel like it's helped me out a lot. Uh, K, you know, of course, I think his games were predicated probably on strength to speed. So just a pretty logical progression for him. And uh, you can just look at him and tell that it's paid off, obviously. So
0: So you got to see him in person. Like, was it noticeable? Because I feel like people went back and forth. I had people like, oh, yeah, he definitely looks bigger. And then I had other people saying, like, he doesn't look any different to me other than I think he has his beard going. Right. Like I didn't again, I didn't watch it, but I think he's growing that out. So. I don't know. People are going back and forth on whether they actually believe that he put on this weight and muscle. Yeah, he did. It was
1: noticeable. Man, summer league, honestly. I mean, we walked up to him and talked to him at one of the scrums uh, after practice. And uh, it was noticeable Like he's definitely gotten bigger. I'm curious to see how this uh, impacts him on the floor, because I thought he was kind of sneaky strong last season. You saw him get a shoulder at the guys and bump out the way. You could still oftentimes defenders were not expecting him to do that, you know, but that shoulder bump was like his go-to move to create space in the paint. And it was pretty effective. Like, he he bumped centers out the way. Like, players of all sizes pretty easily. So, you know, if he could be more effective in that, I think that's good. But Kate also just talks a lot about, you know, getting into his space, you know, dictating where he wants to go. Uh, You know, obviously teams are going to chase him, you know, around the floor, put screens on him, try to tire him out, get him off balance. And they may not be able to do that as easily. Oh, and here's some – this isn't really breaking news. Uh, The Pistons just – officially announced the bouillon trade at 9 36 monday night so if anyone was worried about that there you go well,
0: west where where's our sound effect we need like a sound effect breaking news on the pod this this is the podcast of first the first seku dumbuya reference and then the first time omari breaks news on the podcast I will. I think it's going to make a huge impact Amari, Him putting that weight on, I would like to see him operate a little bit more in the mid post in his game. That way, I also wonder if it's going to help him scale up in terms of who he defends on the defensive end. If he can guard some threes, you mentioned earlier, like a three guard lineup, a killing Hayes, Jaden Ivy, Kate Cunningham. Well, now he's going to be guarding the three man in that lineup. I think that added weight will help him or that added strength will help him with that as well. So I do, I think it was a big thing for him and I'm excited to see what impact it has, like you said, because I do think his game is predicated on that a little bit. One more quick quote from Kate Cunningham on Jaden Ivey, actually, in his learning curve. He says he will have to experience it for sure, but he's hungry to learn. He asks me questions all the time about little things that are different from college. I try to share with him everything I learned just to give him that
1: head start. That's been a, a, a talking point. Um, Kate, obviously, is, I think, a naturally good teacher and communicator. And that's something he talked about in Summer League as well, just uh, being a, a helping hand and a voice in Jaden Ivy's ear, helping them to get acclimated. And I think they both understand that they got to help each other out, right, You know, whether it's on the floor or off the floor. Um that process has already started, so... Uh, who better to teach Jaden Ivey than Cade Cunningham, right? I mean, he just did it last season, so uh, still fresh to say it, right? You know, I think that's probably a good situation for Jaden.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think Cade's a great leader. I think he'll take great pride in helping bring Jaden Ivy along. And speaking of Jaden Ivey, a quote from him, he says, I always love Detroit. I want to be a piston for life. That's for sure. That runs deep, and every day I wake up and try to rep this city well and have pride on my back. We all know we've talked about it. You've talked about it. It's been on the pod. Jaden Ivy, all the connections to Detroit. There's still something that's exciting about that, that someone you know who has deep roots to the city and the organization.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could tell he's thrilled to be back. Uh, you know, his dad uh, was born and raised here. Uh, grandfather played for the Detroit Lions, and then mom played for the uh, Detroit Shock, obviously. So you could tell it's genuine. You could tell you know he really is still sort of emotional about it. And that's still probably a bit surreal for him. Uh, I'd be curious to see how he hoves up an opening night. You know, uh, he uh, was a little weepy on, on draft night with a half hit. So, you know, I'm sure those emotions were carrying him by the way through uh, the start of the season. But, uh, yeah, I mean, fans like that. When I do when I tweeted, that one, I it was going to be one that uh, really got a lot of traction with the fan base because they were already high on the night before the uh, draft. We talked about it. I, like, we did pose and whatnot. Like, he was winning all the pose for who the Pistons should draft, but, like, a pretty wide margin. So, we're just seeing the – Love affair between Gene and Ivy and Detroit and Pistons fans uh, continue as it will, as long as he's a Piston more than likely.
0: Absolutely. So Isaiah Stewart, we talked about him a little bit earlier playing the four, and he touched on that a little bit. He said, we can expect his summer league role to carry over into the season. Quote, unquote, I think I'll find myself at the four spot, being interchangeable, spacing the floor, those kind of things. It goes back to Amari. What is our confidence in his ability to knock down shots? He seems confident in it. The organization seems confident in it.
1: Yeah, they seem confident. You know, we saw it at the end of his uh, rookie year. Uh, we saw it at the, at the end of last season. Uh, in the last season, he shot like, what, it was like 6 for 11 or something like that, or like 11 for 18, I think. I think it was 11 for 18, Like, which is small, sample size, but obviously really good. And then uh, he shot above 50% of summer league as well, which was only like two games. But still, uh, in limited minutes, he's shown that he can do it. So it's just doing it for an entire season. Curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. And I, I still feel like Isaiah Stewart playing the four gets talked about in like a weird way when you see it on social media, like people, like I know when they acquired Bogdanovic, people were like, so is the Isaiah Stewart at the four experiment dead or how does it affect him and this and that. And it's like, it's just about positional versatility. It's not, he's a four time four is a four time five. It is depending on the matchup. You want to be able to do both capably. Cause there'll be games where you want two bigs on the floor because you don't want to get out rebounded. Or like you said, cat rigo bear, there'll be nights where you need that. You're going to need down the road. You know, if it's, Isaiah Stewart and Jalen Duran from the to mesh together and from the mesh, you want Isaiah Stewart to be able to shoot. Cause he's of the two, he's already a, <laughs> a really good switch defender. You know, he's smaller. Like it just makes sense. That's not really about, it really isn't even about playing the four. Like it say, is, but if it's he's not playing really the five about the shooting yeah. helps Omari. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like we put, I feel like I don't, like I feel like we don't, but I feel like when you tweet about him shooting and all that, somehow the conversation becomes, is he playing the four? And it's like, you just want him to be able to, but if he can knock down threes, it doesn't really matter. You know, defensively, he's going to switch. He's going to de- protect the rim and on offense, Now he's way more useful because he's not a pick and roll big. So he's got to be able to do something and that something needs to be shooting, you know, cause he's six, eight, six, nine, you know, he can already defend guards. It just, it just makes sense. So it's not really a him playing power forward thing like it is, but it's just, him being able to play for another big really because because long term you want him to be able to do that. So you could call it playing it a seven, 8 789 if you want to. It doesn't really it doesn't really matter what you call it. It's just you want him to be able to play with Duran and without during and that's the main thing. And to do that, he has to be able to shoot. Even if they didn't have Jen and they still want him to shoot because it's the modern NBA and his game will become so much better and he'll be way more playable in any game if he can shoot. So that's really the bottom line. It doesn't really matter what position it's at. He's needs to be able to shoot. That's really the bottom line for the Pistons and for him.
0: And that leads right into the second quote from Stewart on which player he's been watching a, to model his game after. He said Al Horford because he's able to do it all at the four and five spot. He's able to shoot, space the floor, and is a good decision maker. We just dove into all that, Amari. We don't have to dive into it some more. I just thought that was very fitting with the discussion we just had. I do. You just mentioned Jalen Duran. We talked about it earlier. The possibility of spending time with the Crews. He said. I haven't heard too much about it, but whatever they need, I'm here to develop and grow as a player to be the best player I can be. Whatever they feel is the best route for me to take is the route I'm taking. I'm going to stand by. I think we see Jalen Duran spend time with the Motor City Crews this season. Where do you stand?
1: It wouldn't surprise me if he does. Um, you know, when I talk about uh, how much benefit would he get out of it, that's more so just my personal opinion. Of we see athletic guys dominate, you know, that level because they're super athletic and. Uh, players of that type of athleticism are typically in the NBA. You don't see him in the G League as much. So from a matchup standpoint, who's going to be able to box him out? Uh, who's going to be able to jump with him, yada, yada? Uh, and at the same time, he's 18 years old. Uh, I still think he's got a lot of fundamental stuff he can work on. Uh, we saw in Summer League, he's not, you know, the best at boxing. out. Like, there's stuff that he could get better at, and I think he can work on that stuff in the G League and get better at it, even if he's putting up 20 and 10 every night, just because he cannot jump everybody, right? You know, I still think that there's stuff that would benefit him rather than just sitting on a bench and watching the action. He, he, he can do both. So when you play in the G league, I don't know. I uh, don't think it makes sense. Yes. I think it's a possibility. Also. Yes.
0: Rob Murphy, when he was with us talked about this and how important having the motor city crews right downtown is and, or right down the street is where they can send guys back and forth. And that's something I think Jalen, if it's calculated, and I guess I have confidence that the organization, the staff, Rob Murphy, again, talked about how, they're running all the same stuff. DJ Baker's going to run all the same stuff. And so I think if it's calculated with the role that he has in the G League, I think it can be beneficial for him if they do that. I want to move on to Killian Hayes. And I have to ask you just right off the bat, Omari. I had people telling me he felt like the questions really came at Killian Hayes pretty hard today. Do you feel that I'm not saying you, I don't know who all was in the room asking questions, but do you feel like he kind of got it more than anybody else just in terms of direct questions and and kind of being put on the spot with some of those questions?
1: Yeah, I mean, he was asked verbatim, like, do you anticipate coming off the bench or starting and what do you prefer and this and that, which, uh, you know, like no player is going to, you know, say, well, oh, I better start or whatever, unless they really want to <laughs> cause some locker room issues. But uh, he did get some biting questions today which yeah, 4% of overall pick, uh, you know, of course he's been up and down. Uh, he also was questioned uh, sort of about his takeaways from his first two seasons and then somebody followed up when he kind of dodged the question a little bit. Like they wanted a response out of it, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I think this is a show improved season for killing to an extent. I mean, we talked about it. Uh, he's a great passer, great defender, but you've got to be just good enough on the offense. I don't think Marcus Smart isn't a basic offensive player. But he can heat up and hit five, six threes in a game. You know, like, uh, you know, Derek White, you know, he's got a l- little bit of shake to him with his handle and he gets in the rim a little bit. You know, he's not a great shooter, but he's, he's not a ne- negative on offense. That's the thing for Killian is if you have a lane to the rim, take it. If you have a wide open three, take it. Don't second guess it. Don't pass the ball if you have a shot. You know, everybody wants to see that aggression. And he talked about, you know, just being more aggressive. That was his main thing in media days, just being more aggressive. I'm like, the, the book's out at this point. I mean, I think everybody knows that. He needs to score the ball a little bit more. Like He played pickup basketball this summer to just get the reps, really, just get the experience. You know, I'm still curious, personally, just how much him – how to deal with COVID as a rookie. Uh, not the illness, but just the pandemic aspect. The whole of situation. It, you know, maybe affected his development. You know, how much work was able to get him before the draft and whatnot. So, uh, he tried to fix all of that this offseason. He put in the reps, worked on the shot. He said he worked with different coaches on the shot. So, We'll see how it pays off. But I said it before, I don't think the line for Killian to become at least a league average guard is that, you know, think of a line. Like you shoot a little bit better, get to the rim a little bit more. I think you're pretty much there.
0: There's real NBA skill there, right? There's real NBA skill and talent. And I think whether it ends up with the Pistons or somebody else, he's going to eventually stick. Um, I still think it's going to be as a second unit point guard. And maybe he never embraces that role. Maybe it's always about being a starter. I think he can be really good in that role. I'm going to put you on the spot again, Omari. This isn't in the outline. So I, this is fun for me. Over, under 25% chance Killian starts the season on opening night.
1: I'm going to go under. I think he still comes off the bench. Uh, you know, I think that. Uh, He was a little bit more comfortable coming off the bench last season. Uh, They do need someone to run the second unit. You know, I know people will think, well, he's a 7th overall pick. He should get the opportunity, yada, yada. I look across the league. Marcus Smart was the sixth pick, and he's a starter. But, you know, again, like I think start, come off the bench, whatever. Uh, Killian's Rose could be valuable in good teams if he just brings you a little bit more on offense. And realistically, you know, I think for the player, he may end up becoming Uh, He'd probably be a bench guy for a lot of good teams anyway. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, we see a lot of, you know, players who – a lot of defense first guards who come off the bench, but playoffs come and they play big minutes uh, because you need somebody who can house stuff Curry. You need somebody who can, uh, you know, take those offensive assignments and become really valuable. Uh, But I I would take the under on that. I think that, um, you know, Cade starts obviously, and I think I would probably favor Ivy starting just because he hasn't had the chance yet, and they want to see what he can do.
0: Yeah, I actually think there's a better chance that Hayes closes the game on opening night than there is that he starts the game because of the defensive impact you're talking about. We have three more quotes that we want to get to here, Amari. The first from Marvin Bagley III. This was really interesting to me. Bagley said, consistently knocking down three-pointers will be a focus this season. We've talked a lot about Isaiah Stewart shooting, not Marvin Bagley III. He, quote-unquote, last season wasn't my best shooting
1: season, but I know I'm capable if Marvin Bagley can, like, shoot, and I mean, like, shoot, shoot, like, 36 37%, would it be false for me to say he'd be, like, 80% of John Collins, or is John Collins too good on defense for me to make that comparison?
0: Marvin Bagley third is not very good defensively at, Martin, at <laughs> No, <all>. he's not. <laughs> not, not
1: I'm, saying, I'm saying John Collins is much better defensively, but if he could really knock down threes, then I think that solves a lot of issues offensively at the very least. Like, maybe let's at compare, that point can let's start
0: compare them offensively and just leave it there.
1: Okay, all right, all right. I'll leave it at that. No percentages or anything else. But if Bagley can really shoot, maybe you can start him. You know, If he can really knock on open threes, then I think that opens the door for it.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to look up the stat because he had one year, Amari, where he shot halfway decent from three. I, it wasn't like 40%, but he had a decent season. I think it was year two, year three, he shot 34% on only two and a half attempts. But it's not completely out of the realm. I, I don't know. I, I just – it was very interesting when it popped up. I was surprised by it because it hasn't been talked about with the organization. Um, I just love him rolling to the basket. It, he could be, if he knocks down 34, 35%, and then I think he can be decent attacking the basket off of those closeouts because he is so skilled, it would be very intriguing. On to another big man acquired this offseason, Nerlens Noel. This one probably was the quote that jumped off the page the most, Omari. Noel on his goals next season. I want to be in the defensive player of the year discussion. I want to bring that grit to Detroit.
1: Yeah, what do they say? Uh, aim for the aim for the sky, and if you feel you follow Monster stars or something. They got something. Uh, you butcher. Like would, yeah,
0: a, shoot for the moon because <laughs> even if you miss, you land amongst the
1: stars. Um, what I said basically means the same thing, so we'll just stick with it. Um, no, I mean, like he he did get defensive player of the year votes. I'm pretty sure when he was a rookie, so you know he has that like, capability his main issue has been health. You know, he's had, you know, injuries almost every single year, you know, and that's set him back. You know, like, I think if you're, you know, Dwayne Casey, if you're a fan, like, you should like hearing that, you know, like, whether you think it can happen or not, uh, you know, like, that's his skill. You know, I do think he raises Detroit's floor uh, with his defensive ability. And they have some depth, you know, at the big man positions, so we still kind of have to see uh, how much he's utilized. And he'll also be a little bit limited in training camp as well, so that's also something to watch. But... I like it. You know, I like the guys come out and shoot their shot, right? I want to be an defensive player of the year conversation. That's I like that. Go ahead and put it out there. Put something to hold yourself to.
0: I I love the confidence. I love it. I don't think we should criticize people when they're confident because we criticize players when they aren't confident, right? But that doesn't change my answer on over under 1% chance he's defensive player of the year this season. What is it for you?
1: I don't know if the minutes would be there for him to really be in that over under one percent. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go under. Like I don't think it happens, but exactly.
0: Yes. So we can both love the confidence. We can both be happy that Nerland's Noel will bring that grit and that defense to the Pistons, and both not believe at all there's any chance he wins Defensive Player of the Year.
1: I was looking up his his numbers. I'm trying to see like the last time he averaged like starters minutes. Uh, he played 71 of 75 games uh, his first year in Philly. That was about 31 minutes. And 29 as a sophomore. And then beyond that, he really hasn't really cracked 20. I think he played 24 two years ago in New York. But beyond that, minutes I've not been there. So maybe he will be here this season. We'll see. All
0: right. Last one. Isaiah Livers said he wants to be a chameleon type next season. Whether it's shooting, being a lockdown defender, or running pick and roll, he wants to be able to do it. I, I just... This is Isaiah Livers. This is everything we've talked about with Isaiah Livers all offseason. And I think it's why both of us believe he has a role on this team. Maybe not as much, right, with the addition of Boyon, That might cut into his minutes a little bit. But I think it's the type of player we both see in Isaiah Livers.
1: I like talking to Isaiah Livers because he always says things that coaches like to hear. Like he is very good at like saying things that you just know the coaching staff. is just like doing the fist pump in the back.
2: That's like why I love him. Some
1: of the stuff. Uh, yeah, you know and that's why you're also a big uh, Isaiah Livers fan. Uh, as am I. I'm not a coach, but as am I. Uh, but yeah, I mean, but that's what he does, right? Like he's shot 42 percent for three last season. He shot the ball really well in college. Defensively, I think he's good uh, as a, a team defender. He understands rotations. We saw him getting guys in the position at summer league and uh, really ra- raising up for some blocks too. Be curious to see how much of that we see next season as well. Uh, I hate to use the term sneaky athletic, but uh you see him rising from those blocks. it's like okay I didn't know he could I didn't know he could get up like that, you know. So it you know, it makes sense. You know, like running pick and roll I think he sees the floor well enough some uh you know like I don't know if he's gonna be your on ball primary ball handler but he can absolutely keep the ball moving and make you know good reads when the ball does swing his way. So it makes sense. Like he's a glue guy. Uh he really is a perfect glue guy. I think that's about a b a six seven wing he can shoot, defend, move the ball. He's not going to make too many mistakes. You know, kind of like Boyan, he's just a guy that I think plugs a lot of holes for the same.
0: Amari, the season is upon us. Training camp is starting. We're going to get exhibition games soon, not before the next episode, but soon. I know we promised you guys a mailbag after last week's episode. Things changed around with the media day and all that. We are planning on doing a mailbag for next week's now. So we'll tweet that out, send it in the ratings, the reviews, whatever. However you can get it to us, get it to us. We'll do that. And then after that, Omari, the content writes itself, right? We got games to break down, to talk about, coaching decisions, all the stuff fans love to hear. Detroit Pistons NBA season is upon us. Take it away, my friend.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. It's it's, it's go mode now. Uh, A lot of exciting stuff coming up. Uh, Also, we got a pile of sales at the back for getting through our first Pistons post-offseason. So yes shout out to us i think we have some pretty fun episodes we got some good guests on so uh, we'll try to strike the right balance uh during next season uh because this is the exciting part now in a few months it'll be one of the dog days of the season i uh, want we'll to spice some things up so uh, we tend to come up with good ideas and uh you know i'm just excited to be at this point post media day uh talking about some actual basketball so i'm uh, gonna do our outro uh big thanks to our editor kerry jr the second our executive producer and delgado our sports senator Kirkley Crawford. Also shout out to West Davenport. We'll talk to you all next week.